Good evening. If you want to turn your Bibles to Exodus chapters 5 and 6, we'll do our best to get through both tonight. And let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to get into your word tonight, to study it, to let you speak to us through it. As we discussed on Sunday, just your word has life and uh, sometimes just jumps off the page, always educates, always draws us closer to you as we uh, spend time with you here. But sometimes it's more than that. There's direction and um, answers. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd speak by your Holy Spirit any way you want to tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week was a interesting week for Moses as he began his ministry. Um, got things straightened out. Uh, there was some things at home that needed to be handled. He had gotten all the instructions. He had discussed all of his fears. He had, all of his excuses had been wiped away and uh, by the Lord. But on his way there, that angel decided to go ahead and kill him because there was one thing God wasn't going to start this ministry off with, and that was with disobedience. You cannot start a ministry off with disobedience. And he had been disobedient by not circumcising his other son. He had circumcised one, apparently, but the other had not been. And by the reaction of his wife, it seemed to have been a, a point of contention for them in, a, in their marriage to the point where he was like, I'm not going to fight with you about this. But he had gotten so sick by the Lord, it, we know it was from the Lord, that he was incapacitated and they both knew. The Bible doesn't tell us how they knew, but they both knew what the problem was. And so she has to do the circumcision. She would not normally do that. But he was in such a condition that he couldn't do it. And she throws the foreskin at her husband, says, you're a, you're a husband of blood to me. She, there's anger there. There's, there's resentment. But that has to be the case. God was not going to allow this man to start his ministry, God's ministry with him, with this lackadaisical attitude as to whether we need to obey God's word or not. And we discussed that in great detail last week that there was 3 million people waiting to be delivered. That it had been an 80-year process to get Moses prepared for this one moment. And yet when it came to God's word, God says, it's all coming to an end right now if you're not going to start off with obedience. We've got to be obedient to God. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 4 through 5, Paul writes to this young pastor and says, One who rules his house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Ministry begins in the home. And until that is straightened out, there's nothing else to consider. I had a, a rough guy named Roger Wing. He was in charge of Calvary Chapel Outreach Fellowships. In other words, that was the guy we went through to become a pastor of Calvary Chapel. They ordained the man. And so there's essays you have to write and things. And he's a tough cookie because he's dealing with a lot of people all over the world. And I remember getting an email from him as it went out to all the pastors saying, I'm stepping down for a time. I need to focus on my family right now. And nobody needed to ask any questions. We didn't need to know what the problem was, although everybody's curious, you know, what's going on, you know. It doesn't matter. What a great example for all of us 
as he was the one chewing us out for not getting our stuff in on time or on us saying, I don't know who you are. You better write something better than that. You know, is that all you got? Then you're not worried. I mean, he was hardcore and it was good. But then for him to humble himself and say, I need to step down and focus on my family. Now he came back into the ministry about a year and a half later. And we don't know what the problem was. It doesn't matter. But he knew, I can't do what I'm called to do by God out there if I can't do what I'm called to do as a man in my own home. Moses has the same situation. God holds us accountable to that. Disobedience is not an option. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 21 through 23, but the people took of the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things which they which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, to heed than the fat of rams. I would far rather you have just been obedient to me than to say you were disobedient so that you could give me something. I don't want that. Now, I start off with that because I don't know that we hit on that very well last week. Maybe we did. But verse 1 of chapter 5 starts off with afterward. After we got all that straightened out, now the ministry begins, the deliverance of the nation of Israel from the oppression of the Egyptian government is now beginning after all of that. After he talked to the leaders, after he got his house in order, after he got all of his excuses removed. Ministry, when you're called by God, and that's the only way to do ministry, is rough. And it starts off rough. You're going to see how rough in these next two chapters Afterward, Moses and Aaron went into and told Pharaoh, after he told the people, thus says the Lord God of Israel, and that's his name, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, introducing him, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, who is the Lord, using his name, that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I did not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. Now, what Moses and Aaron start off with and what God started off with was we just need to get away for three days to worship him. If as an unbeliever, as a harsh taskmaster, but still an employer, you'll let us go for three days, we'll come back, we promise. Interesting. That's the start of this process of delivering them completely. Now, that is not God's end goal. If Pharaoh had said yes, oh, well, okay. I guess he's pretty easy to work with. We can work it out here. Maybe this is the promised land. No, God wants to get them all the way to the land. Now is the time. We're getting them across the Jordan. But he starts off here because this is for Pharaoh's purpose. It's for Pharaoh's heart. We just want to go three days. Willing to do that? I don't know who your God is. Pharaoh thinks he is God, first of all. Now, I don't know if they really believe that, but the nation of Egypt truly believed their Pharaoh was some sort of deity. Nobody's that big, that great, and so they would dress and, and be treated that way. You know, they're extra special. And I suppose if the Pharaoh believed the hype around him, you could almost begin to believe that you are. Well, you know, I kind of am a God. Everything I say happens, so, well... You have to be pretty stupid. And I don't think pharaohs are stupid. I think they're pretty smart guys. You'd have to be to run a nation like that. You were smart enough to let Joseph later, you know, earlier on run the country. 
smart folks. But his problem is, I don't know your God. And you're talking about the God. Remember, these two guys just walked out of the desert. Moses has been out there for 40 years. He doesn't look like he did when he left when he was 40 years old. He's rough. He's got a stick, you know. <laughs> and the Egyptians, in their fine apparel, surrounded by gold and all the majesty, I don't know what they had exactly all around them, but it certainly... Well, they certainly didn't look like these two guys. Now they probably put on their best, you know, camel hair coat. <laughs> but still, you got to look at the Pharaoh's point of view. He's like, um, who and why? Because your God lets me oppress his people, so I'm pretty sure I'm bigger than he is. So why on earth would I need to listen to his demands? So God asks, requests. That's the only request he's going to get. So they, Moses and Aaron, said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days' journey into the desert and sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence and the sword. We might, you know, he might get mad at us. Then the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, Why do you take the people from their work? Get back to your labor. And Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are many now, and you make them rest from their labor. we got to get stuff done here. Now, remember, this guy is on a mission to reduce the population of the Hebrews. They're scary to him. There's too many of them. All the babies, boys, are supposed to be thrown into the Nile. We're supposed to be reducing. It's not happening like he wants. Now you've got this action, this activity. I've got this union leader coming to talk to me about the labor force, you know. Trying to start a, no, 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 no. Put them back to their labor. Get them back to work. And I'm not impressed with you at all. You know, obviously, not intimidated. And so when this happens, he responds with force. I'm not letting my people go. They're mine. They're my labor. And you're making them rest. You're, you're pulling them away from their job. You've got a lot of time on your hands. That's his thought process. You must be... Let's need more, more things to do. So the same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their officers, saying, you shall no longer give the people straw to make brick as before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. And you shall lay on them the quota of bricks which they uh, made before. You shall not reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore, they cry out, saying, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let more work be laid on the men that they may labor in, labor in it and let them not regard false words. Don't let them listen to these lies. They've got too much time. They're listening. Now, this is going to throw Moses for a loop. It's going to throw everybody for a loop. They're not going to understand what's going on because he just said that to the foremen that are on his team. Now, there's a group. Uh, there's Pharaoh, and then he's got his foremen that are over the foremen that are Hebrews, that are over the Hebrews. So there's two groups of middle management, basically. You know, you've got the white collar side just below Pharaoh, and then you've got the blue collar side that's just still Hebrew, and they're going to get beat for not getting the quotas right. So you got to get the picture here. But they're not communicating. They're just saying, look, uh, go get your own straw. We're not giving you straw anymore. That's all they understand is happening. And it's going to be a concern to them. It shouldn't be. The world. Remember what this is a picture of. This is a deliverer 
coming to deliver a people away from the world. Our deliverer, Jesus Christ, came to take us away from the world. Satan doesn't let us go easily. He doesn't just say, well, I mean, of course, feel free. You know, there's a battle that has to take place. When ministry starts, oftentimes it's difficult. And I don't just mean being a pastor, and I don't just mean being a Sunday school teacher, although those are included. Just being a Christian trying to minister to people, and you feel for the first time called to share your faith with people, you're kind of hoping it all goes really smooth. But it doesn't. Just being obedient to God is the reward, is the goal. The increase is his. What happens with that is his. We need to know that. It isn't always easy. It isn't always smooth. It doesn't always turn out like you think. And this certainly isn't. Now, God had warned Moses this is going to happen. But maybe he just had hoped it wouldn't. Verse 10. And the taskmasters, after they got the word about the straw, of the people and their officers went out and spoke to the people, saying, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go get yourselves straw where you can find it. Yet none of your work will be reduced. So the people were scattered abroad throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble instead of straw. And the taskmasters forced them to hurry, saying, Fulfill your work, your daily quota. And when there was, and when there was, uh, as when there was straw, also the officers of the children of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, so those are the Hebrew side, they were beaten and were asked, Why have you not fulfilled your task in making brick both yesterday and today as before? So they're getting beat. You guys are slacking. Now, they were already at maximum overload, right? They were already to that place where they were just barely able to drag themselves home. It's interesting. God had taken the nation of Israel to a place where they would finally cry out for a deliverer through babies being thrown in the Nile. It took all of that. It took having to work from sunup to sundown, so tired, so fatigued to the end. And then when the deliverer comes, it doesn't get better. It gets worse. Some people have a honeymoon when they come to know Jesus Christ. They have that moment where, wow, my life is better. Everything's coming together. It's perfect. Others don't. Others were so useful in Satan's hand that they actually get attacked worse because Satan is not going to let you go easily. So there's that rough time, and this is that moment. The world says, no, 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 not so fast. I've had this guy locked up and going to hell. I've had this gal going to hell for a very long time. He or she were headed down a path that was going to lead them to destruction and everybody else in their life. It was wonderful. And you're going to try to save them? Not so fast. I'm going to make it hard. Fulfill your work. Fulfill your work. Then the officers of the children of Israel came and cried out to Pharaoh, saying, Now, this isn't Moses and Aaron. These are those foremen that just got beat. They got, Can we talk to this guy? I mean, this is unreasonable. Why are you dealing thus with your servants? There is no straw given to your servants, and they say to us, Make brick. And indeed, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, you are idle, idle. Therefore, you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Oh, it's because I'm wearing a cross around my neck now. It's because I said I needed Sunday off to worship. It's because 
Oh, it's because I tried to lead you to the Lord at the last company picnic. That's why there's so much venom. Now, they're not happy about it. Therefore, go now and work, for no straw shall be given you, yet you shall deliver the quota of bricks. And the officers of the children of Israel saw that they were in trouble. After it was said, you shall not reduce any bricks from your daily quota. Oh, man. This is not going to go well. They're trying to kill us. Then as they came out from Pharaoh, they met Moses and Aaron, who stood there to meet them. (laughs) That's a tough place to be. You kind of know by their expression when they come out the double doors and they're looking at you and you're like, should I ask how it went? You know? (laughs) If I were Moses and Aaron as a leader, I'd be like, I'm not going to be here when they come out. Nobody wants to face that. As someone who's trying to lead a deliverance, (laughs) the last thing you want to see are the people that are supposed to benefit from the deliverance being upset with you, the deliverer. Don't you realize I came here to save you? What, save you from an easier job with straw? Because you did that. You made our life a whole lot harder. Thank you, Moses, Aaron. Good job. Plan's working just perfectly. They're not happy. So they met him and they said to them, let the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us. This is not how we thought it was going to go. This is a tough place for everybody. Later on, scripture is going to tell us that they lashed out because of the burden, because of the affliction. Moses and Aaron, you're not helping things out. Now, Moses and Aaron are in a tough spot. Look, we're just trying to obey God here. We're just trying to do what we're supposed to do. God told us to come here, tell Pharaoh. He said it was going to be hard. We told you it was going to be hard. We went in. It's hard. I don't know why. You know, it's just, it's tough. I'm trying to see how a health and wealth preacher would work this scenario. If you just trust me to deliver you, your life's going to be easier. It's going to be better. It's not. It's harder. My boss hates me. I've lost a lot of friends. My family doesn't even want me coming Thanksgiving anymore because they keep, keep talking about that Jesus stuff. You know? Tough place to be. I guess I feel for them all. So Moses returned to the Lord. Circle that. That's all you can do. That's all you can do when you're in Moses' position. You return to the Lord. You go back to that place where he spoke to you, and you say to him the things he's going to say to him. Is this, is, this what it's supposed to, is this what it's supposed to look like? Am I doing something wrong? Because they had a different view. They saw this going differently. I kind of saw this going differently. This is not going well down here. I didn't know if you knew that or not. Those are basically his words. Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it you have sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh, I speak in your name. He has done evil to this people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. (laughs) I mean, not even a little bit. We didn't make their jobs easier. That's kind of what they were hoping for. You made their jobs harder, Lord. Ministry has problems. Moses has no idea how hard his ministry is going to be. He thinks this is difficult. We all know the story. If you've read through this scripture at all, you know what the next 40 years are going to bring this guy. And, and that's without this problem child Pharaoh. 
His, all of his problems are going to come from the people that he's trying to, who he was called to lead and deliver out of Egypt, and they're going to punch him all the way to the Jordan. God doesn't tell him any of that. I want you to do this. Trust me, it's going to work out great in a while. Then the Lord said to Moses, this is his answer, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. You've seen what Pharaoh can do to you, and you needed to see that, and we needed to give him the chance to just let you go, but now you're going to see my strong arm. This is where I step in. This is when the delivering begins. This is when the fireworks start. For with a strong hand, he will let them go. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. He's not going to have to be talked into it. It's not going to be, he's going to wish you gone. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, Lord, uh, by my name, Lord I was not known to them. Have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage in which they were strangers and have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel whom the Egyptians um, keep in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the children of Israel, and I want to pause there because that was for him. That was for Moses. So far, nobody's known me by this name. What does he mean by that? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they all knew. All these people know the Lord. They know that they've been worshiping the true and living God. They've been praying to a specific person to deliver them. They know this. What God's saying is they've never seen anything like this. They've never known me by this name. And it got me to thinking, you know those studies they do on the names of God? They're they're pretty cool. You can get a, a poster that shows all the names of God. And what they mean by that is when God describes himself, he doesn't really have a name like Joe or Bob. He has a name that describes a character, an attribute of his. And so far you've known me as El Shaddai. I'm the one who takes care of you. But there are other names of God. Names that talk about him being your defense, your shield, your guard, your everything, your all in all. Your, and it goes on and on. You can look those up. It's really interesting. And I got to thinking, how many names have I experienced with the Lord? How have I known the Lord? I've known him as my El Shaddai. I've seen him step in, right? A lot of us have. I've seen him as my savior. I've seen him as my provider. I've seen him as some other thing. But what are some other names that I have never experienced in my life? You know, what are some of the things he he can do but hasn't done with me yet? And that's the idea behind this. You guys have known me as this, but you've never seen me like this. And you're going to see me now. You're going to watch me. You were all excited and bowed down and worshiped just at the idea that there was a deliverer sent from me. But you haven't even seen me work yet. But you were already worshiping. That was good. It was a good moment. But now watch. Here's what I want you to say to them, Moses. I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. 
Moses needs to say that out loud too. Moses isn't doing any of those things. Moses is simply being obedient to what God's called him to do, but it's the Lord that's going to do all that. And all of us need to understand that too. Whoever led you to the Lord, whoever was a mentor in your life, whoever was the first Christian you ran into or the second or the third or whoever, do not put them on a pedestal. They have nothing to do with your growth in Jesus Christ. It is God. We make disciples of Jesus That's what he's saying here. I'm going to lead them through the Red Sea. You're not going to be able to do nothing. Moses can't splash the water away. He can hold a stick up, though, and watch God do it. Our eyes, their eyes, need to be on their deliverer always for all of these things. Jesus is going to bring you out from the burdens of the world. Jesus is going to rescue you from the bondage that you're under. Jesus is going to redeem you. Jesus is going to have an outstretched arm with great judgments. Jesus is going to uh, treat you like you're his people now. You're friends of God. People cannot do this. Moses can't do this. And they will toggle here. And we're going to watch this. Between looking at God and then looking at blaming Moses. It's a tough place. And so he says, Moses, I want you to say this out loud to them. God is going to do this. God is going to do this. God is going to do this, 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 this. I'm here to be a spokesman for the Lord. That's what it means to be a witness. We've got to be very careful about that. I see that happen sometimes in relationships between an older brother in the Lord and a younger brother in the Lord, or an older sister in the Lord and a younger sister in the Lord, and they take it upon themselves to grow this Christian, and you can't. You can help them, you can listen to them, you can tell them what you've gone through, but truly, if there isn't a supernatural work going on in that person's life, it's futile. They have to have a personal relationship with Jesus, and they have to be growing on their own with him. We plant the seeds, we water, but we have nothing to do with the fruit that comes from that person's life, nor can we make them grow. We'll attempt it, won't we? We'll put our hands on their little leaves and we'll start pulling. You can grow a little faster. I'm just stretching you. Just stretching you beyond your comfort zone. Snap. God's going to bring enough turmoil into this plant's life, into this Christian's life, that's going to blow them this way and that way and strengthen them just enough so that they grow deep roots because they have to or they're going to tip over. But if you keep spoon-feeding them, if you don't let them go through what they need to go through, if we don't let Jesus Christ disciple them, because that's what he does, we don't, then they're going to fail because we've made it too easy for them. We've made it to the place where the soil is too loose. Our Our potted plants that we do every year, our annuals, they don't, they do okay, you know, but nothing like the trees out back that are just forced to endure, you know? There's something about that. The potted plants are out there going, here comes a storm. I'm caring because we don't plant small plants or use perlite, you know, that makes the soil lighter. We use, and so we're carrying them in out of the storm and we set them on the porch and we bring the next one in and that comes in and over them we put them back out in the sunshine. So much work. They're pretty, but fragile. 
God says, I've got some stuff I need to do with you guys. I have got to take your mindset for being a slave to being a people that is their own nation with their own government, that is autonomous, that has a relationship with the God, the most powerful God, the only God in the universe. And I've got to get you guys taught that. And that's what this 40 years is going to be about. You have to learn to trust me and me alone. So tell him that, Moses, and he does. So Moses spoke thus to the children of Israel, but they did not heed Moses. Get used to it, buddy. <laughs> but here's why. Because of the anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. Don't take it personally. It's hard not to take it personally, but don't take it personally. You try to give people some encouragement, or you try to help them in their time of need or a difficulty, and they may lash out with you, but understand where that comes from. It comes from this, anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. You don't know how hard I've got it. No, I don't. All I can tell you is what God tells me to tell you. You don't understand. I can tell you this, God's word works in everybody. And if you're saying God's word doesn't work in your life, then you're lying. Flat out. Because my God doesn't lie. And my God is all-powerful, and his word is alive and sharper than any two-edged sword. And his word has worked in my life. I've seen it. I am a different creature. I'm a new creation. I'm being transformed. I'm not perfected yet. I have not attained. But boy, can I see a difference from 30, 20, however old I am, ago, 30 years ago. I got saved. Big difference. They didn't believe him. That's okay. They don't really, it's amazing this, I don't believe you, it ain't going to happen. I'm not going to believe it until I see it, until I see some straw. Buddy, we got so much, so much better than straw. So much better than just lightening the load. So much better than just not having to throw your babies in the Nile. That's what some people were thinking. Can you just make this bearable? I still want to be in Egypt. I just want to make it bearable because it's unbearable right now. God's like, I want to take you completely out of that place. I don't want you to have to live there anymore. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, go in and tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the children of Israel go out of his land. We're not talking about three days anymore. Let them go. And Moses spoke before the Lord saying, the children of Israel have not heeded me. How then shall Pharaoh heed me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. In other words, I just, I don't have it, man. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a command for the children of Israel and for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. These are the heads of their fathers. So now we jump into a genealogy. And there's a reason for it. Let me read you the last two verses of this genealogy so you understand why we're going through it. The last two verses say these, says this in verse 26, these are the same Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, bring out the children of Israel from the land of Egypt according to their armies. These are the ones who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring out the children of Israel from Egypt. These are the same Moses and Aaron. The emphasis is, I want you to know who these guys are because you're doubting them, but you shouldn't. These are the ones these are the ones I've called. Here's their heritage, he says. The sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, were Hanuk, Palu, 
Hezron, and Carmi. These are the families of Reuben. The sons of Simeon were Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, and Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman. These are the families of Simeon. These are the names of the sons of Levi. That's what we're focused on here. Levi, the Levitical priesthood, which hasn't been set up yet, but here it is, right? The sons of Levi, according to their generations, Gershon, Kohath, and Mirari. Okay. And the years of the life of Levi. So now he's, ah, we didn't go on to the next kid. We're focusing on Levi now. We're going to stop here and pause for a minute and explain that both these guys, Moses and Aaron, come from Levi. Levi were 137 years. The sons of Gershon, which is Levi's firstborn, were Libni and Shimi, according to their families. And the sons of Kohath, his secondborn, were Amram, Ishar, Hebron, and Uziel. Well, who cares about that? Well, because we're going to focus on Kohath now. He's going to switch gears, okay? The sons of Mirari were Mahali, or Mahali and Mushi. These are the families of Levi according to their generations. Now, Amram, okay, that's, uh, let's see, let me show, that's Kohath's firstborn. So Levi, Kohath, Amram, took for himself Jochbed. Hey, we know her, his father's sister. Okay, that's weird, it's his aunt. That's all right, we're going to move on. It's not illegal yet. God will make that illegal later on. But for now, he's marrying his aunt. Now, it's not like like an older aunt. It's, you know, uh, well, none of my kids are going to get married to their aunts and uncles. Let me say that right away. But it is interesting that when Bo plays with Caleb, it's hard to call him Uncle Bo. You you get the idea. So, you know, if Jenny and I were to have another baby... the aunt or uncle would be younger than, okay, so you get it. So it's very possible they're the same age. Anyway, they got married. Um, Jochbed, his father's sister, as wife, and she bore him Aaron and Moses. Okay? Uh, So there they are. Those are the two boys. And the years of the life of Amram was 137. The sons of Ishar were Korah. That's going to come in handy later on. As Korah is going to feel, as he's of the Levitical priesthood also, perfectly capable of leading these people. Now, Korah wasn't chosen. Korah gets a brass scepter later on and says, you know, or incense burner, you know, come on, follow me. Now, Korah wants to lead them back to Egypt. That's his plan. Where they had leeks and onions and all the yummy stuff that we had to give up to follow this Moses guy, you know. But we don't even know about him anymore. So he's going to be a problem later. He's going to be a form of rebellion. Someone who has the same rights as a, as a Levite, but wants to lead people back to the world. Nepheg and Zikri, the sons of Uziel, and Mishael, El, Elza, Elzaphan, and Zithri. Aaron took to himself um, Elishaba, daughter of Aminadab, sister of Nashon, as wife, and she bore him Nadab, Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithamar. The sons of Korah, who's going to be a problem later, were Asir, Elkanah, and Abiasaph. These are the families of the Korahites. Eliezer, Aaron's son, took for himself one of the daughters of Putiel, his wife, as wife, and she bore him Phineas. 
Um, these are the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites according to their families. These are the same. Aaron and Moses, to whom the Lord said, bring out the children of Israel from the land of Egypt according to their armies. So remember who's writing this. Moses is writing this book of Exodus. He's the author. And he's letting them know, this is my heritage. This is who I came from. This is me. You know, I'm not an Egyptian deliverer. I'm a Hebrew who grew up in an Egyptian house. He's letting them know I'm very, very Jewish. I'm very, very much a Hebrew. This is my line. It's okay, you know. Now, verse 28, we'll finish up here. And it came to pass on the day the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, that the Lord spoke to Moses saying, I am the Lord. Speak to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said before the Lord, behold, I am of uncircumcised lips, and how shall Pharaoh heed me? One more moment of doubt. One more moment of can't I quit now? A moment of, I want to give up on this ministry. I'm tired of doing it. And you'll go through those moments as a Christian. We talked a little bit about that on Sunday. There are days where it's like, you know what? I'm not, don't know that I care that anybody's going to hell today. I'm just going to barely make it into heaven myself, I'm pretty sure. You know, by the skin of my teeth today. But they're not always like that. Days pass, trials go away, feelings fade. We don't go by feelings. We can't go by feelings. If we go by feelings, we will be walking in and out of obedience to God. We go by facts. We go by the word. I go based on what God says, not what I think that day or how I feel that day. So what if I do feel unsaved today? Guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to obey God as an unsaved person, I guess. But I'm going to obey God because that unsavedness is my feelings, not God's word. He says I'm saved. He says I'm in his hands. He says no one can snatch you away from me. The love of God is that powerful and that strong. He's got a hold of me, regardless of how I feel. So I'm going to obey. I'm going to do what God calls me to do. I'm going to trust my feelings will follow later. It's one of the first things we tell, say to people in marriage counseling. You just love them. I don't, I don't feel that. I'm not asking about feeling. I'm asking about doing. Love them. Love them. Your feelings will follow later on. But if you continually not love them physically, openly, serving, then your feelings won't follow. Your feelings will stay right where they are. But if you want your feelings to follow, you need to love them. It's the same thing with the Lord. Every day I obey. Every day I do what God calls me to do. Every day we need to do that. Maybe to a greater or lesser degree, depending on the day, but I'm still going to go to sleep knowing that I serve God that day. And then you wake up and you're like, oh, I'm so glad I didn't give up yesterday. I'm so glad I did need sleep. I did need to eat something. I did need to get into his word. I did need that moment. And God will send you those times, those divine appointments with people and brothers and sisters. Not all the time, because he doesn't want you a wimp. wants you to work this stuff out on your own sometimes. It's between you and him. But he'll send you that brother or sister to encourage you along the way, right when you need it. And you'll remember that and say, you are paying attention, aren't you? Moses is going to discover that too. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these two chapters of encouragement. As we watch this deliverer, the deliverer, the Moses, have doubts, worries, fears, failures in his eyes. But actually, none of that's true. It's all going just like you want it to. It's all working out perfectly according to your plan. And we need to trust the end. 
And how you bring about it is up to you, but the end is for sure. We thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for our redemption. Thank you for leading us out of Egypt. Thank you for taking us, not only through the Red Sea, but also by the Spirit across the Jordan. We might live that victory, Lord, that life of victory. Oh, bless these folks as they go tonight. Bless our kids and the teachers that took the time to prepare and to get everything ready and then to pour out their hearts into these little guys and gals. Thank you for them. Bless those teachers, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.